Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series. Our Old Testament scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. So I took the leaders of your tribes, wise and reputable individuals, and installed them as leaders over you, Commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officials throughout your tribes. I charged your judges at that time, give the members of your community a fair hearing and judge rightly between one person and another, whether citizen or resident alien. You must not be partial in judging, hear out the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. Any case that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. This is the word of the Lord. So our next scripture reading, it comes from, can you all guess where it's going to come from? The Sermon on the Mount. What we've been talking about for the last few months, and this is one of Jesus' most famous passages of the entire Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not judge so that you may not be judged, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you who have been here, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount each week. We're calling the sermon series, The Way. (coughs) And each week what we're doing is we're taking one of Jesus' teachings and we're trying to see how it applies to our lives. Last week we talked about Jesus' teaching on the human propensity to worry. And this week we are looking at Jesus' teaching on the human propensity to judge. And to get into this, I'd actually like to tell you a little bit about Greek mythology because it applies in this particular instance. One of my favorite classes from college was Greek mythology. Anybody in here take Greek mythology when they were in in school at any point in time? Okay, I think Greek mythology is really fascinating stuff because it's all about these gods and goddesses. They bicker and they fight and they use humans and their little plots and schemes wherever they're going. And I remember each time we'd come to class, our professor, she would take one of the myths, we'd go over it, and then she would ask us the same question every single time. What does this story tell us about who we are as people? What does this story tell us about who we are as people? And so what would happen is, we get into this and there'd be these wonderful discussions that were very rich and revealing, because as we kind of drilled down into the story, you could always find a piece of yourself buried in the mythology. Now, of all the stories that we talked about, the one that I remember the most was the myth of Narcissus, the myth of Narcissus. So, 
If you all have never heard the myth, there's varieties of myths about narcissists, but the one that is probably well known is the one where he's walking through a forest, and this mountain nymph named Echo sees Narcissus. And Narcissus, of course, was supposed to be a gorgeous man, a man who everybody just kind of fawned over. And so she falls deeply in love with Narcissus. And as he's walking along through the woods, he can feel that somebody is watching him or near him. And so he calls out, who's there? And Echo calls back, who's there? And eventually, Echo reveals herself to Narcissus, but he spurns her advances. And she's so heartbroken that she spends the rest of her life in the lonely glens of the forest until all that is left is her echo sound. Well, Nemesis, the goddess of revenge, she hears about what Narcissus did to Echo. And so she lures Narcissus to this pool. And there, when he looks in the pool to get a drink of water, he sees his own reflection. And he immediately falls in love with what he sees. And the way that the mythology ends is that he ends up dying because he's trying to convince his own reflection to come away with him. Now, this is where we get the word what? You all know the word what? What is it? Narcissistic, which means to be in love with oneself. Now, my teacher, when we started talking about this, she said that there are very few people who are narcissistic in the most classical sense of the word. And in fact, as Americans we tend to have such low self-esteem that we could hardly be accused of being in love with ourselves. But the place where you find that we actually have the most narcissistic tendencies is in how we think of other people. We have this propensity to project our own insecurities on to other people. So the faults and the flaws that you see in others, those are very often faults and flaws that are actually inside of you. So let's give you an example. Let's say that you're commenting or judging someone's appearance. They're too skinny, they're too fat, they are too ugly, or perhaps you would sit there and say they focus too much on their beauty, or maybe they wear clothes that are too revealing, or maybe they wear clothes that are too frumpy. Whatever your judgment is of this person, when you judge their appearance, what that is really saying is that you are making a judgment about yourself because you are insecure about your own appearance, so you simply impose it on that other person. But, of course, you're unwilling to admit that. You don't want to say anything about it, so you just kind of throw it onto them. And so in this way, our judgments of others are like a shield that prevent us from seeing our own faults. So like narcissists, when we see other people, we're actually seeing a reflection of ourselves. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? When we see other people, we're seeing a reflection of ourselves. And so in this way, when I hear people making judgments about me or about someone else, I know that deep down inside they're talking about their own insecurities. And the same is true of me. Whenever I make a judgment of someone, I know that... I'm talking about something that I don't feel good about within myself. And this is why Jesus says, he says, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you make, you, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. So when you 
judge other people, you need to be careful because that judgment is going to eventually come back around and one day be leveled against you. So, what does Jesus tell us? He says, well, it's probably in your best interest not to judge because the standards to which you hold other people are very often the standards where you yourself fall short. But we all already know this to be true, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Because the truth is, we can't help ourselves, can we? In our minds and behind closed doors, we are always offering critiques and criticisms of everything in our lives. We gossip about the failings of others. We mock those who think differently than ourselves. We scrutinize every detail of how people walk, talk, eat, and dress. We dissect the people around us as though it were a science. And yet, we seem to have real trouble taking that same scrutiny and turning it back on ourselves. And this is the core of what Jesus says. Perhaps one of his most famous statements in the entire Bible that almost everybody knows. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye when you do not notice the log in your own eye? Or why do you say to your neighbor, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when you still have the log in your own? We are very judgmental creatures, are we not? Would you agree with me? Yeah, we are. We are extraordinarily judgmental. And there's a good reason for this, why we are judgmental. A very good reason why we are. You see, it comes back to our survival as an organism. Because you have to be able to discern bad things in your environment that are going to hurt you. Just like last week when I was talking about this, if you go back and you think about our ancestors who were walking through the forest, right? They needed to be able to tell if something was going to be a threat to them. This is extraordinarily important for their survival. If they didn't, what was going to happen? They were going to die, right? So, it's really important that they could sit there and they could discern and be judgmental about, is this person going to hurt me? Is this animal going to hurt me? And 20,000 years ago, most of what you encountered in the world, they were threats to you. So it was in your best interest to assume the worst and to look for the negatives that could bring you harm. So, our ancestors, this is something they developed in order to survive. It's been passed down to us, and so it's built into our DNA. It's a survival mechanism. But of course, today we live in a world that is not nearly as dangerous as it was 20,000 years ago. Would you agree with that? All right. It's not necessarily, yeah. Well, it depends, right? At least in our day-to-day -day lives, let's put it that way. It's not as dangerous as it used to be. And so... Because of this, we still have this propensity to judge those around us. We're still applying that same level of scrutiny. So this mechanism, judgment, which ensured our survival for so long, is the same thing that causes us only to see the negatives and to set aside the positives that are in these people. And that's a really sad way to live, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you agree? Because it causes you to miss out on what makes people so special and unique. Therefore, it's in our best interest to really moderate our judgment. And that's what our Old Testament reading today that you heard Adam talk about. That Old Testament reading is all about judges who are moderating disputes in a court of law. Now, none of you in here are judges, right, in a court of law. But yet, you act like a judge all the time, don't you? And what he says, the advice that he gives to them is he says, look, you need to be fair when you're dealing with people. Whatever the dispute is, you've got to hear both sides out. 
And that's hard for us to do because immediately when you see somebody, what is your first inclination? You're scanning them up and down. You're taking a look at who they are, right? You're trying to assess who is this person. And it's really hard for us not to prejudge someone, not to allow our prejudices to come in. But when you do that, of course, you're always, in truth, assuming the worst. But if you were to set that aside, well, then you're going to just let a person be who they are. And in that way, it's amazing because the people who you meet and the way people will basically change your world, it's totally different than what you had encountered previously when you were like, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you, or I'm assuming you to be one way when you're something completely different. Now, what I'm telling you to do is a lot like what I said last week with worry, right? Last week with worry, what did I say? I was like, hey, Jesus says, don't worry, which way easier said than done, isn't it, right? And the same is true with judgment. Me standing up here and saying not to judge, that's like the same thing. It's like you can try not to eat, right, for a little while, but what's going to happen? Eventually your instincts are going to take over, and that's all you're going to think about. So in me sitting here saying don't judge, it's like, yeah, that's really easy to do. So we have to acknowledge the fact that we're going to judge no matter what. We're going to be judgmental no matter what we do. The question is, can we retain the good judgments, the ones that truly are going to keep you safe, and get rid of those negative judgments, the bad ones that prevent you from enjoying the people in your life. And the way that we go about doing this, at least in my opinion, is that we start to examine the judgments that we are projecting into the world. And I'm not just talking about the judgments that you impose on other people. I'm talking about the judgments that cut to the heart of who you are as a person. Now, what do I mean by that, the judgments that cut to who you are as a person? To explain this, I want to talk about that word, God, for a second. So, in this room, we have all these people in here. I would assume that the vast majority of you in, in here probably believe in God. Am I right about that? I mean, more than likely, is that true? I would assume so. And I would even assume that most of you in here probably, since you're in a church, probably identify as a Christian. You know, more than likely, Right? But if we went around the room and I asked you to define that word God, we'd find that no two of you have the exact same definition. Because your understanding of God is very much influenced by your life experiences. How you grew up, what you have endured in your life, that gets all built into what that word God means to you. So let me give you an example of this. Now, this, I'm going to give you two examples. These examples may not apply to you. It's just two examples of how this could happen. So let's say that you grew up, and while you were growing up, you didn't have a really good relationship with your parents. It was stressful, it was strained, and you always were not in the right place with them. You're always arguing with them. Now, depending on what the issues are that you're arguing about, depending on that friction that you feel, it is not uncommon for that same person to frame their understanding of God with those issues. So let's say, for example, that your parents were very critical of you. You could never live up to their standards. You could never do what they wanted you to do. No matter how hard you tried, you could never quite do right in their eyes. It is not uncommon for a person in that situation to apply that same level of criticism to their understanding of God. They have so internalized that criticism that they have imposed it onto God. Now let's contrast that person with someone 
who has grown up and had a very good relationship with their parents. So far from being disconnected from them, they feel very much in touch with them. They feel that their parents love them. If they make mistakes, the parent gently corrects them and forgives them. The parent is always trying to give them a deep sense of self-worth and confidence and is trying to help them become the best person they can be. It is not uncommon for a person who grows up in a situation like that to feel that same love and acceptance coming from God. They have so internalized that love that they then impose it onto God. So the question is, which one is correct? Which person is right? You have one person who sits there and says, God is harsh and judgmental, criticizing everything you do, and the other person is sitting there saying, well, God is all loving, right, and accepting, and wants the best for me. Who's right? Which one is correct? Both people hear that word God, and they have very different understandings of what that word means because their experiences have a different way of informing that word. And this gets even more complicated when you talk about people who have been through very serious traumas in their life. I remember when I was back in Pennsylvania, I was getting my hair cut, and the hairstylist, who, by the way, was not really styling my hair, there's not really much to do with this, so she was just basically giving it a cut, right? So we get into a conversation, as most hairstylists will, where they sit there and they ask you, what do you do? And so I told her I'm a pastor, and of course, if it's a person of faith, they will usually tell me a little bit about their faith journey. Well, she starts getting into the story about how her husband had died 15 years earlier from cancer. And she said that of all the people who this affected the most in their lives, the person who was worst affected was her daughter, who was nine at the time that he died. And what she explained to me was, is that, you know, obviously we know that if you're an adult, it's hard to process somebody's death from cancer. But as a child, particularly a nine-year-old, it's very, very challenging. And so this young girl, she felt very much frustrated. She felt angry at the situation. And she didn't quite understand what was happening. And her father, she couldn't get out of bed. He was struggling just to get around, and particularly at the end, when it was really bad, you know, he could barely even speak. And unfortunately, on the last day of his life, the last thing that she ever said to him was, I hate you. Now, he knew that she didn't mean it, you know, and that it came from a place of deep pain and suffering. But that moment influenced so much about her life from that point onward. Because 15 years later, at the age of 24, this young woman had had no romantic relationship to speak of ever, and she barely had any friends because she was so scared of getting hurt. And she confessed to her mother one day that she felt that God was punishing her and wanted her to suffer. And I thought, that's so sad, because you know what she's done? She's taken those same words that she spoke to her father and she has imposed them onto God because she believes that God hates her. The truth that we have to be willing to accept is that we judge ourselves far more harshly than we judge others. And because we are like narcissists, 
we have trouble self-reflecting. And so, of course, we're always putting these judgments out into the world. But what I have found is that we reserve our deepest and most cutting judgments of ourselves for God. If you want to learn a lot about who you are as a person, take a step back and start dissecting your understanding of God. Because all the ways that you see God as being judgmental and negative, though almost always, those are the same ways and the same things that you hate about yourself. And so this raises a very interesting question for me personally, which is, if we are always looking at God through the lens of our own issues, can we ever truly understand who God is apart from our faults and our flaws? And it's a tough question. I've been kind of thinking about this for a long time. And I really think that we actually can understand God, maybe not truly impartially, but I think we can get a good look at God. And the scripture is actually a good way that this can happen. So in the scripture today, Jesus is talking about judgment, right? Now you may not remember this, but does Jesus ever mention God in this particular scripture? No. Doesn't. Not at all. Now, have you heard that God is judgmental? That God's going to judge you one day? Have you heard that before somewhere in church, somewhere along the way? You have, haven't you? All right, I've heard it. In this scripture, though, when Jesus, he has the opportunity to talk about God judging us. He doesn't. And in fact, I think makes a certain point not to, because when we think about God judging us, that's very much the God of the Old Testament, right? But Jesus, when he talks about judgment, it's almost as if he's keeping God out of it, saying, you know what, God doesn't really want anything to do with judging you. And what's even more fascinating, if I'm reading this scripture correctly, is that God sets us to be the judge of ourselves. So you are set to be the judge of yourself. And this is why I think Jesus says that the measure by which you judge others is the measure by which you will be judged. The standards to which you hold other people are the standards to which you will be held. And we all know that we will crumple under the weight of our own judgments. Isn't it interesting that when you take that same scrutiny that you apply to others and you turn it back on yourself, you can barely stand the pain of it. This is perhaps the most important thing that I've learned from this particular scripture, is that our judgments of others, they destroy the people around us, but they end up hurting you far more than they end up hurting other people. And I say this as somebody who really knows a lot about what it means to be judgmental. If you had known me when I was a teenager, I was by far the most judgmental person I had ever met in my life. By a long shot. Because if you didn't live up to my standards, I thought I was like the most moral person in the world. And I was like, if you didn't live up to my standards of what I thought was moral, I just looked down on you. And then in my early 20s, I read this scripture, and so I started doing what he said. I started turning my own judgments back on myself. And I quickly came to realize I wasn't even living up to my own standards of what I thought was what I thought I should be, right? All these things I'm putting out there, I wasn't even living up to them. And so I realized that I needed to change the way I was approaching life. I needed to stop being so judgmental. And the way that I went about doing this was I simply started turning those judgments back on myself. So every time I judge someone else, I'd say, all right, Alex, now that you've just said that about that person, how about you? What does that say about you? And very quickly, I stopped judging other people. 
Because the fact is, when you're the target of your own judgments, it's not that much fun. And I'll tell you, it really opened up my world quite a bit. Because the end result of me being so judgmental was I had no friends. <laughs> you know, nobody wanted to be, I didn't want to be around people because I was like, I'm so much better than you. And people didn't want to be around me. But when I stopped doing that, it really opened up my world. A couple weeks ago in my sermon on prayer, I talked about this, my friend, Elvis. Now, I can guarantee you, I would have never gotten to know Elvis if he had met me a few years before this. Because I was just so judging of everybody around me. And he's a guy who had a lot of problems. So he would have definitely been below my standards. But because I had let go of that, I, was allowed, I brought him into my life. And he made my life so much more rich and full as a result of his presence. And so I say this to you knowing that not all of you struggle with judgment in the same way that I did, but I can tell you that in the ways that you do judge, if you're willing to just lower it down and to see people for who they are, it totally can transform the people who you bring into your life, and it makes your life so much more rich and fulfilling. And so my prayer for you today is that you would do your best to actually try to follow Jesus' teaching here not to judge. I know it's not easy to do, but if you can do it, it will change your life completely for the better. You've got to set aside your prejudices. You've got to set aside your prejudgments. You've got to just take people for who they are. You've got to see the best in them as opposed to the worst. And then you'll find that these people are going to enrich your life. And if you struggle like I did with those negative judgments, which I assume that some of you in here do, do yourself a favor and turn that scrutiny back on yourself. Because the moment you become the target of your own judgments, that's the moment you realize that it's not so much fun because we all know the verdict of what our own judgment is going to be, right? It's always going to be guilty. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.